My name is Joel Garlic Miller, and this is My Life Wildlife. I am a wildlife biologist. I work in the Marine Mammals Management Program in here in Anchorage, Alaska. I am a walrus biologist. I've uh, been working on walruses for about 25 years on conservation and management issues here in Alaska. I am an import from Canada. I was born in the United States and as a U.S. citizen, but moved at a very early age to Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. I knew at a very early age, I had great fascination with animals and wildlife and avid outdoorsmen growing up and particularly with fisheries. I always sort of thought I would be a fisheries biologist. I had a fantastic man I worked for, Dr. Rob Stewart at the Department of Fisheries and Oceans. And as a young man, I um, got a summer field job with him, setting up all of his field work uh, across the Arctic on studying walruses and belugas and seals. My journey to Alaska, I, I went to, I was presenting some of my results at a marine mammal conference in Galveston, Texas. And I was approached by some fish and wildlife service biologists from Alaska, who I'd never, I'd never been to Alaska. And they uh, encouraged me to apply and I competed for a job, a entry level position here in Alaska, 1994. And uh, the rest has been history. The animal, of course, is utterly fascinating. They're uh, just a, a strange, uniquely adapted species. They occupy some of the most remote regions of this planet out in the uh, sea ice offshore, um, where they rest on the sea ice, they dive to the bottom, and uh, where they feed. They're massive and, and intelligent, and they have all sorts of uh, advanced behavior and social dynamics and things like that. But uh, also, I think what I, what really sort of got me where I am today was the understanding that Aboriginal communities in Canada and here in Alaska, the Inuit, Eskimos, have a, a great cultural and subsistence relationship with the, these animals. So I would spend four months a year in uh, living in hunting camps with walrus hunters and jump in a boat and we'd go out and they'd harvest and then they'd help me <laughs> do things like trying to weigh walruses and measure them and collect samples. They were very patient with me. <laughs> Summertime in the Arctic, field camps, I mean, just joy, freedom uh, for, for people who are happy, working hard on putting food up walruses and fish and caribou so it's a time of frenetic activity but i think of great joy as well and i was really honored to be part of that when you find a group of walruses you sometimes you go out for more than 20 hours you know long long field there's it's the arctic summer there's no nightfall you could be doing this work at any time of the day but just navigating through the ice pack which is you know full of things like polar bears and whales and all sorts of arctic birds and um, just fantastic and then and then trying finding these these herds of walruses on scattered ice flows sometimes the concentrations um, extend many many miles of, of, of walruses uh, all in this in this one region and oh my goodness just some of the most stunning beautiful lighting conditions out in this still arctic uh, sea ice 
and all the migrating marine mammals and birds in the region will leave anybody in awe. It never gets old. Walruses are uh, an amazingly social and intelligent animal. They uh, forage on the shallow waters of the Bering Chukchi Sea. They specialize predators of clams and other invertebrates. They have, as you may recall, this big face of whiskers. These whiskers are highly innervated and they can drop down to the bottom, thick sediments where you can't see anything. And they have, have these tactile, Vibrissae that they can root around in the bottom and find clams and other other prey species. They can differentiate, you know, between a nickel and a dime at the bottom of a pool while blindfolded. That's how sensitive their tactile senses are. And so when they when they find clams uh, or other invertebrates, they have this giant tongue which they can drop or express, and they can jet water like a hose, what this does for them at the bottom of the ocean is they can quickly excavate deeply bedded clams and suck them out. And they don't masticate, they don't chew clams or break the shells. They take them into their mouth and they can create negative pressure, quickly break the abductor muscle, suck the meat out, spit the clam out in a matter of seconds. Walruses are also thought to be part of the, their sort of gardeners in this. They, they, as I mentioned, they, they root around the bottom of the ocean. They pull up all these sediments, and so they also sort of improve nutrient flow and all, all sorts of things. So they, they're a, a pretty, what we call a key ecological species up here, a keystone species. They're very attentive parents. They have very low reproductive rates, but they invest a lot of maternal investment, care and feeding of a calf, which can accompany mom for up to two or three years. So the, the survival rates of calves are, are, are pretty good. Walruses are a big critter, and there is what we call sexual dimorphism. So the males, uh, bulls, are maybe a third bigger than the females. Both have tusks, but these males, they can get close to 3,000 pounds. They're you know, 11 feet long, they're enormously, have enormous girth. And of course they develop these just massive canine teeth, the tusks, which can extend three feet long. And they're not, you know, a predator of typically of mammals and things like that. So they're not gonna be tracking you down or anything, but of course they are well-equipped for defense with their mass and their tusks. And if you piss them off, they will respond, particularly the younger bulls can do all sorts of bluff charges. So if you're in a small boat trying to, to study them, we've had, they've, they've tried to certainly try to intimidate us. They'll huff and puff and start splashing and, and things like that. So they're, they're the ones that we try to avoid. Walruses generally prefer sea ice habitats. They move around depending on where the sea ice is, and there's a seasonal and interannual component, so it's difficult sometimes to predict and find them. But in the course of my career, we've seen a pretty dramatic decline of Arctic sea ice, particularly in the summer season. And so over the past, I guess now about 12 or 15 years, we're starting to see a late fall summer season where the sea ice retreats north off of the continental shelf waters into deep abysmal arctic basin waters where walruses can no longer 
stay on the ice and dive to the bottom. It's just too deep for them. So when the ice retreats, uh, typically now late August, early September, out beyond the shelf, walruses migrate en masse to um, coastal areas. We call them haul-outs, where, where they aggregate in very large numbers. And this is a phenomenon that uh, when I first started here in the early 90s and the, into the mid-2000s, we, we didn't see. Uh, occasionally a walrus was reported on the coast, but now it's a, a fairly regular occurrence. And so this has really sort of shifted our, and our focus, a lot of our research and management activities. Um, because they form these dense, dense herds and they're mixed herds with small calves and things like that, they can become very vulnerable to disturbance events like airplane overflights or ship traffic. Even natural things like polar bear predation can trigger a kind of a mass stampede and result in injuries and mortalities. So over the past decade, a lot of our management efforts have been focused on trying to mitigate to the extent practical, at least human caused disturbances. So we do a lot of outreach, uh, communities, aircraft, shipping companies about trying to give walrus their space and let them do their thing while they're stuck on shore. In Alaska and in Chukotka, Russia, the Pacific walrus population is a resource of enormous economic and cultural importance to coastal native communities. People have been living continuously occupying these areas for thousands and thousands of years and their whole culture is dependent on marine mammal hunting that's that's how who they are the fish and wildlife service actually has a really neat co-management relationship with alaska natives specifically for walrus management and so there's like uh, 20 different tribes in alaska of walrus hunting communities that have tribal membership in in the eskimo walrus commission they have a, a structure with the chairman we meet annually but we we collaborate on a wide variety of projects uh, including subsistence harvest monitoring they help us in the communities, hire local people to collect samples and collect data. There's a great conservation ethic in a lot of these communities. And so trying to hear and partner with those groups is, I think, going to be critically important for the future of this species. You know, I, I got here on a path of adventure, you know. When I first started doing the work in our Arctic Canada, I, I never it wasn't part of a grand plan to end up where I am today, but it has been just the path that I've followed. I truly do feel blessed having had the opportunities that I've had doing this work. We're seeing massive changes in the Arctic ecosystem, massive changes for walruses, changes in habitat use patterns. There, there's big, big conservation issues, but the future of the walrus has not yet been written. I mean, they, they, there are things that we, I truly believe that we can and should do that will help um, help this species adapt to these climate changes. So some of the work that we're doing, uh, you know, trying to ensure that harvest levels remain sustainable, trying to track population trends and um, tracking where walruses, are, new habitat areas are forming, and then working with that information to 
you know, develop a, appropriate mitigation measures to protect these essential haulouts. I think that those efforts, it's not a, it's not a total loss. I think if we're able to do some of that, that they'll have some real positive benefits on, on the future of this species here in Alaska. It's very gratifying to be able to work on, on something that has a meaning for wildlife species and the ecosystems that, that we all inhabit. This has been My Life Wildlife, a production of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, Alaska Region, Office of External Affairs. Producers Lisa Hupp and Chris Pacheco. Produced and story edited by David Hoffman for Citizen Race Car. Audio editing, sound design, and original music by Garrett Tiedemann. Artwork by Michelle Lawson. In Alaska, the employees of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service are shared stewards of world-renowned natural resources and our nation's last true wild places. The lands and waters of this place we call home nourish a vast and unique array of fish, wildlife, and people. Our hope is that each generation has the opportunity to live with, live from, discover, and enjoy the wildness of this awe-inspiring land and the people who love and depend on it.